0: There's been a theme as we've been singing through different songs here this morning, and the theme is related to walking with God. And this morning we're going to be looking at a passage from 1 John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, as we look at the importance of walking in the light, walking with Christ, in a sermon that I've titled, The Believer's Recovery from Sin. The Believer's Recovery from Sin. We'll be looking at 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. 1 John 1, 3 through 10, the believer's recovery from sin. I heard a story about a man who had made a nice living catching frogs. He lived among the Florida Everglades, and each night he would go out in an airboat and catch frogs. As decent as the living he made from catching frogs, he found out that he could make, big as alligators were, catching one alligator would make him about as much money as he could make in a week catching frogs. So one night, he and his friends decided to go out and poach alligators, which is completely illegal. They had to be careful not to get caught, so they couldn't shoot the alligator when they came upon it. And what they had to do Instead, was to shine a bright light into the eyes of the alligator, which would kind of stun this massive creature for a moment, and then, with a massive hammer, come and hit the alligator right between the eyes. So, as they were going about one night, they spotted the biggest alligator they had ever seen, which was going to be the biggest payday any of them had ever seen. So they... Idled the motor. They allowed the boat to creep right alongside this massive alligator. One, gra- one man grabbed the flashlight, shined it right in the alligator's eyes, stunned him. The other man grabbed this massive hammer and took a mighty swing, but he missed the gator. And the force of the swing and the hammer coming all the way across tossed the man overboard, landing him right on top of the massive beast. The man scrambled faster than he had ever scrambled before. Managed to get back into the boat without even ever getting wet. I thought about this story as I thought about what our reaction to sin ought to be. Every Christian is going to fall into sin. But every true Christian should be as fearful of sin as this man was from that alligator. That the moment he fell on top of it, he was able to bounce back without even getting wet. That should be our response to sin when we fall into it. That we realize what we've fallen into, and the moment we fall into it and then realize what we've done, we try to get back right on track as quickly as possible. In 1 John chapter 1, it has much to say about the believer's fellowship with God, which is what we end up falling out of when we fall into sin. So how do we get back into the boat as quickly as possible? How do we get back into fellowship with God as quickly as possible once we've sinned? How does that fellowship get restored? And that's really the question we're going to answer here this morning. So let's first identify several essentials of fellowship with God. Several essentials of fellowship with God. Notice verses 3 and 4 here in 1 John chapter 1. The Apostle John writes, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. That you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. What we're told here is that the path to fullness of joy in the life of the believer is through fellowship with God. Fullness of joy is the purpose. Fullness of joy is what God plans on all of us experiencing. And having revealed his purpose, the Apostle John tells us that there's a way that we can actually experience unhindered fellowship with God. So the first essential for us as believers is to set our standard on God's standard. Or to set our focus on God's standard. I want you to notice what we're told in verses 5-7 through here in 1 John chapter 1. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanseth us from all sin. The standard that God has set for every single Christian is holiness. That is to live a life of purity, to walk godly in this life. This is what is referred to here in this passage as walking in the light. It is a standard of purity. It is a standard of holiness. If we're going to have fellowship with God, we must be walking in the light because God does not operate in darkness in terms of his fellowship and relationship with his children. We can't be okay allowing sin into our lives, but we must be like that man who is scrambling to get out of the reach of the alligator and scrambling to get back into the boat that he did it so fast he didn't even get wet even though the alligator was sitting in the middle of the water. That should be the the way that we react to sin. That the moment we fall into sin, we are getting as fast as possible back into the fellowship with God. That is why our standard must be the standard that God has set for us. Otherwise, we're going to have a lower standard, and we're going to find that any lower standard doesn't allow us to experience the fullness of joy that God has in store for us, because it doesn't keep us walking in the light. Many Christians think that an acceptable standard in life is one that is slightly better than the world standard. As long as they can maintain a safe distance from what the world has deemed acceptable, and as long as they're a few steps behind what the world has deemed acceptable, then they find themselves in a nice little cool zone, nice little comfort zone where they think that they're doing okay. The problem with this logic is that the standard that is set when we're doing this in light of where the world is and where we're wanting to be a few steps behind is not God's standard but man's. And the world's standard is constantly changing. The world's standards are changing every single day and that can tell you something they're not changing for the good. If we're staying a few steps behind the world, thinking that a few steps behind the world is safe enough distance to distance us between what the world is saying is good and what we know to be good, then we're always going to find that we're going to be at arm's length from the world and we're going to be distancing ourselves from the Word of God. Which as much as you may justify yourself because you're having this clear line between you and the world, now there's even further distance between you and the standard that is set here in the Word of God. God's not interested in how well we can stick to standards that we have set for ourselves. But God is interested in how well you can stick to the standards and obey the standards that he has set for you. When you're living according to your own convictions, your own standards, little by little, you're distancing yourself from God and his word. Little by little, you're compromising on things you said you would never compromise on. And thus, you're having to revise your standards. Because the world is constantly changing and we're more focused on keeping with the world and keeping the world at arm's length instead of keeping our focus on God. You're not going to enjoy fellowship the way that God intends on you enjoying fellowship this way because God does not reward obedience to yourself or even your obedience to the world. God's rewarding obedience to himself and to his word and that is why it is essential for us as believers to set our focus on God's standard. The second essential is to call sin what it really is. Call sin what it really is. The more that we're immersed in the world system, the more we find that the world has all sorts of alternate definitions and alternate words for what we know as the word sin. The world does everything it can to try and avoid calling sin by its real name. They do this for various reasons. They do this in order to not have people feeling so guilty, feeling ashamed, feeling humiliated for what they've done. But no matter what we may call it, we can't escape or even, the, or even deny the reality of sin and the consequences of sin. If we as believers are ever going to live the joyful life that God has said here in verse number 4, that your joy may be full as you're walking in fellowship with Him, if we're ever going to enjoy the joyful life, the life that is found in fellowship with God, we need to be serious about sin, and that starts by calling it by its real name. Notice what we're told in verse number 8 here in 1 John chapter 1. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It is imperative for us to understand the nature of sin because the Bible says that God only forgives sins. What do I mean by this? Well, we like to do everything we can to call sin by a different name. We will say something like, well, I just, I made a mistake. Or I had a lapse in judgment. Or we just slipped up momentarily. We will say all these different things, but the Bible doesn't speak about God forgiving our mistakes. The Bible speaks about God forgiving our sins. And there's a huge, huge difference between making a mistake and falling into sin. A mistake is taking the wrong exit off of the highway. A mistake is sitting in someone else's seat in church. Although for some of us, that could be viewed as sinful, isn't it? A mistake is forgetting to pay a bill. But when a person commits murder, when a person steals something or lies and cheats and then just says, Oh, I made a mistake, That is him trying to dance around the real issue of his heart. That is him trying to avoid what he's really done. When we're not seeing sin as an offense against a holy God, and we refer to it as a mistake or a lapse in judgment or a slip-up, we will start seeing ourselves as being sick instead of actually being sinful. We become weak instead of actually becoming wicked. We become ill instead of actually becoming evil. And now the problem is not in our hearts because we're passing the blame onto someone else or something else other than ourselves. But notice again what we're told here in verse number eight. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. No matter how much the world may try to push us away from calling sin what it really is, the one thing they can't remove is the guilt that we get from sin. And the reason for that is because each of us were made in the image of God. And when we sin, we offend our holy creator. The world looks at that every person is carrying a heavy burden of guilt on their shoulders for which they need help removing. They're infected with a disease from which they need cleansing. But they don't even do what is necessary to help clean these people from the sickness that they claim they have. So they end up searching for relief from all of their problems, all their sin, but not what they're calling sin, in all the wrong places. They see themselves needing to get their thinking straight or to fix a mistake when the reality is they need forgiveness from God and cleansing spiritually from all their sin. The evolutionist will suggest that since there is no God to whom we're accountable, then there is really no such thing as sin at all because human beings are just products of blind forces that are working against them over billions and billions of years. The evolutionist will then suggest that sin is merely an accident or a little stumble as man is continually progressing upward and getting better day by day. It doesn't take much effort, though, to see that man is not progressing upward, but we are, in fact, falling into further ruin. God created us in perfection, yes, and we've been falling off course ever since. We have fallen quite far from where God originally created us as being perfect, all thanks to something the Bible refers to not as a mistake, not as a lapse in judgment, but as sin. Educators say that the solution for our problem is not time. You know, if we just keep progressing and getting better over time, not, educator says it's not time, but we'll get better with more education. We need to be more informed. We need to be educated. We need to be learning more. Now, if that were true, then all the most educated people would be the less sinful people, right? It seems to me that once I read about a man named Solomon, though, who was one of the wisest men to ever live. And the Bible says about him, if my memory serves me correctly, But I'm pretty sure that he was also known for being one of the most sinful men to ever live. He was one who, the Bible says of him, had over a thousand wives and concubines. So education is not the answer for man's sin problem. Some scientists will suggest that man's problem lies in his genes, in his genetics. And if certain defective genes can be manipulated, if they can even be removed, then we could eliminate many of our human flaws, one being sin. Now, if this were the case, then all of the good-looking, all of the most talented, all the strongest among us would have the least problem with sin. But as we know in many cases, the exact opposite is true. Some sociologists will tell us that the problem with man's sin is his environment. He's just a product of his environment and he had no chance because of the environment that he was brought up into. And we would do wonders if we could just change the world, change these environments to eradicate sin. But as much as we've done over the years to try and better the environment around us and the environment around other people, what we find is that no one can ever escape this problem of sin. Every single one of these views, as well as so many more, They all fall so short of accounting for man's one major problem. And the reason is that they're not calling it what it is. And they're not seeking to deal with the issue of sin at its root. Look back at what it says in verse number 7 here in 1 John chapter 1. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. The only answer to man's sin problem is the blood of Jesus Christ. If we don't realize and don't accept this, we will never experience that fullness of joy that is spoken of in verse number 4 that is found only in the fellowship of God. We've looked at several different essentials of fellowship with God. But second, I want you to notice that God forgives and forgets sin. God forgives and forgets sin. Notice what we're told in verse number 9 here in 1 John 1. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, one of the main points of this chapter is found here in the promise of verse number 9. This is one of the overwhelming themes of this passage. That God will cleanse believers from sin and restore us to a right fellowship with him. Before we really get into this verse, and we'll get into it in just a few moments, this verse is addressed to believers. But we need to understand what the Lord does with our sin... When he saves us, God has declared in Hebrews chapter 8, verse number 12, he says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. God also declared in Isaiah 43, verse 25, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and will not remember thy sins. Several times we see God saying that he will not remember our sins. Now, this doesn't mean that God forgets our sin from his memory. God can never learn anything. And in the same way, God can never unlearn anything, if that makes any sense. He he knows everything. And if he would not know something or were to unknow something, then he would cease to be God. God's omniscient, meaning that he is all-knowing. Therefore, no knowledge or information ever escapes him. So then, what do we mean when we say that God forgets our sin? Well, it means that God treats our sins as if they are forgiven. He does not hold our sins against us anymore. God doesn't remember our sin that is not accounted to us. He remembers our sin as forgiven sin, and there is an eternity of difference between sin that you're accountable for and sin that you've been forgiven from you and I may not be able to forget our sins. But if God no longer remembers our sin as sin that is against us, but that sin that we have been forgiven from, so can we. And honestly, why would you ever try to dig up what God has buried, what God has forgiven? And the reason we're making this distinction is because it is important for us to know the difference between forgiveness that is spoken here in 1 John verse 1. There is a forgiveness from God that makes us a child of God, but there's also a forgiveness of God that the Apostle John is speaking of here that keeps us in fellowship with God. When we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we're born again, the Bible says, which means that all of our sins, past, present, future, every they're all forgiven by Christ. God will never again lay those sins to our charge. The words of Romans chapter 4, verse 8 become real to us the very moment that we're saved. And Romans 4, 8 says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Praise the Lord for forgiving our sins and never again holding us accountable eternally for our sin. This describes the forgiveness that we have of God when we're saved. But looking back at 1 John chapter 1, we have a different forgiveness that is mentioned here. I want you to notice the difference between salvation and fellowship. Because as we speak about forgiveness here we're speaking in terms of salvation and fellowship here look again at what it says in verses six and seven it says if we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness we lie and do not the truth but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship one with another and the blood of jesus christ his son cleanseth us from all sin now these verses are not speaking about salvation it's speaking to believers they're already saved here but he's speaking about forgiveness in the life of the believer. A believer who's been saved by the grace of God. A believer who's already been forgiven from all of his sin. Eternally condemned. is no longer condemned, but now eternally made, made, made righteous in the sight of God. But this believer falls into sin, and the fellowship that he has with God is now hindered. This is what it's talking about here. Now, we just discussed how God forgives our sin, forgets our sin, never bringing them against our account again. And now these verses deal with the issue of sin in the believer's life. Again, not speaking in terms of salvation, but fellowship. Every believer knows God in two ways. Every believer knows God as the one who has saved him, but every believer also knows him as the one through whom we have daily fellowship with. When I was born again into the family of God, my standing as a child of God... That was settled forever. It was done, it was sealed by the Holy Spirit forever. I can never be unborn as a child of God, just as I can never be unborn as a member of the Coupean family. No matter what I may do, I will always be my father's child. That is what is referred to as sonship. And sonship, salvation, it is for eternity. Nothing can ever undo the fact that you were born again by the power of the Holy Spirit into the family of God. But when we speak about fellowship, which is what 1 John 1 is talking about, it is a whole different matter. Fellowship could be looked at as our current condition as a believer before God. Your standing as a son or a daughter of God is never going to change. You never stop being a child of God the moment you're saved. But your condition before God may change all the time. Growing up, I never stopped being my father's son. But there were times where he would tell me to go out and mow the lawn or to go out and take the trash out. And I didn't obey him right away. There were even times when I did something specifically that he told me not to do. Now in those moments of disobedience the fellowship with my father that changed immediately and in many cases it changed dramatically. My father knew very well how to apply the rod of discipline and he made sure to give me the correction that I needed and deserved when I fell into those moments. There was never a moment when that discipline didn't hurt and honestly It was supposed to hurt because the purpose of that discipline was to teach me the pain of disobedience and to lead me back to walk in the right path of fellowship, the right path of obedience. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, it states, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. At no point when I was disciplined did my father ever tell me, you are no longer my son he never said that he disciplined me not to excommunicate me and throw me out of his family but to bring me back into fellowship because the discipline was brought on by my disobedience by my lack of following his rules and as as painful and as grievous as it was which hebrews 12:11 states it did indeed yield that peaceable fruit of righteousness when that fellowship was restored every parent who is consistent to discipline their children know what it is to hug their children after them disciplining them and reassure them of your love for them that was one thing my parents always told me we're only doing this because we love you and you laugh because you know when you're getting disciplined with a plastic bat you're thinking if you loved me you wouldn't be doing this this is so painful this is miserable As a parent now, I see why they were doing that. And I think, they didn't discipline me enough. Should have been more severe with me. It's no fun having to discipline children. But we see the need for it. Because it shows them how to be restored into the fellowship that they chose to disobey and go out of. And notice how fellowship is disrupted by sin. I think it's pretty clear that sin disrupts our own fellowship with God. When the Apostle John speaks of believers here in 1 John 1, walking in the light, he's speaking of our walking in fellowship with God. The light that we're to be walking in is the light of God's favor and God's blessing that shines upon us when we're experiencing this unhindered fellowship. There's no sin between us and God. The only thing that blocks out that light is the sin that we've allowed to come into our lives. And thankfully, God has made it possible to get forgiveness from our sins so that his full light can shine again in our lives. We've looked at several essentials of fellowship with God. We've looked at the fact that God forgives and forgets sin. And third, I want you to notice and identify how believers can be walking in the light. How believers can walk in the light. When I go around and I shut off all the lights at night, I find myself walking a little more gingerly than I would than if all the lights were on. Sometimes I'll make it back to the bedroom and I'll need Ruthie to turn on her nightlight or her light on their, her nightstand just so I can see where I'm going. Because when all the lights are off, you can't see a thing. And so you're having to walk a little more carefully. You're having your hand on the wall making sure that you know where it is that you're going. Even if you know the place that you're walking, there's still some uncertainty as to what lies ahead of you. So there are times where I'll have to ask her to open the light, turn on the light so I can at least make my way to the bed and you can shut the light off once I get into bed. As soon as that light comes on, I'm able to see where I'm going and everything that is right before me. There's some life then in my steps. My walk changes from this careful little pace that I'm taking. Now the light comes on. Okay, now I can walk freely. I can see everything that's lying ahead of me. I can see where I need to go and where I need to step without any sort of concern whatsoever. This is how God wants each of his children to live and to walk. Not gingerly wondering if their next step is going to be the wrong step, if if this is the right path they're going. He wants us walking comfortably. He wants us walking through life confidently, knowing that we're walking in the light and we can see the path that he has laid before us. Not blindly stepping forward, hoping that we're going in the right direction. But even when we're not walking in the light, even when we stumble and we fall into sin, which is going to happen... God has made a way for believers to receive the cleansing and the restoration to that fellowship, to that light that we so desperately need. He's made a way to get out of the darkness. He's made a way to come back into the marvelous light which brings stability, which brings confidence, which brings life and energy to your life again. And John identifies three truths here. That if we follow them, we will enjoy the wonderful fellowship that God desires for us to enjoy. First, our sin must be exposed to the light. Our sin must be exposed to the light. Lying about our sin will never do us any good. We can say whatever we want about the sin that we've allowed into our lives, making one excuse for it after another, but as long as that sin remains, it will keep us in the darkness, and it will keep us out of fellowship with God. If you notice verses 6, 8, and verse number 10, Here in 1 John chapter 1, you'll see that each of these verses begin the same way. Notice what these three verses say. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Verse number 8. If we say that we have no sin and deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse number 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If we say, these verses start out the same way. If we say, if we say, if we say. So many Christians try to deny their sins instead of bringing them to the light, the light of God's holiness and the light of God's purity. And these verses are very interesting because they seem to describe this slippery slope that we fall down when we lie about our sin. And it almost identifies three different areas in each of the verses. The first fall that we see, which is kind of identified in verse number six, is the believer who is lying about his sin to others. Notice again what it says in verse number 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Who are we saying this to? If we're this believer of 1 John 1 verse 6, If we're the ones saying, oh, everything with me is great in my Christian life. I'm doing phenomenal. The Lord is teaching me so much. I'm growing in my maturity. I'm just the model A Christian. I'm the one you all should be following after. And yet we walk in darkness. The Bible says we lie and do not the truth. So what is this Christian doing? Who is he lying to? Well, verse 6 describes that we're lying to fellow believers about our position. We allow sin to have its place in our lives, but we still come to church. We still sing about God's love. We still sing about God's forgiveness with all of our church family, even though we know that what's happening inside here is not right. Call it what you want. The Bible calls it a lie. You don't have to always be speaking When you lie, your actions can be lying as well. You may even continue to be reading your Bible. You may even be memorizing scripture. You may even follow along during a sermon, fellowship with people after the service. You may even give off the impression that everything is perfect in your life, that you have it all together in this Christian life. All the while, you are walking in darkness because of unconfessed sin in your life. We've all experienced times like this where everyone around us may seem, and we've done a good job of fooling the people around us, because everyone around us think that we have it all put together. That everything is just going wonderfully in our lives. But inwardly, we know that we are a mess. Because unconfessed sin is keeping us out of fellowship with God. And if we're not careful, that slippery slope gets even more slippery with the next step that's mentioned in verse number 8. Notice again what it says in verse number 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. This verse takes it a step further than just lying to others. Now it says we're lying to ourselves. We deceive ourselves, it says. You all know that the more you tell a lie, the more you actually believe it to be true. You will end up justifying your sin after a certain point and actually giving yourself some slack for the sin that you've fallen into and you'll trick yourself into thinking that it's not all that bad. After all, no one knows about it. It's not affecting anyone else but me and and I can, for the most part, keep it under control so that I'm not tempted to do it until no one else is around and no one else is watching. So how bad is it, really? This slippery slope is a very slippery slope. And it is going to lead to all sorts of issues, even to depression. But there's a third step on this slippery slope, and it's found in verse number 10. Notice what we read here. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So you're no longer lying to others here. You're no longer lying to yourself. But now it says you're lying to God. Now, this is the worst of all. When God's word calls something sin, When the Holy Spirit convicts us about a temptation we have to sin and we deny it, we're calling God a liar. The worst possible thing we can do is to try and hide our sin from God. What we need to do is to expose our sin to the light. The Bible says that when we come to God with our sin, we enjoy a fellowship with God. And my purpose this morning is not to make you feel miserable about yourselves, at least not completely. My desire is that we can all remove that sin that is standing between us and God. And I say all of us, I mean all of us. To remove that sin that is hindering our fellowship with God and where it needs to be. And the only way to do this is to expose our sin by bringing it into the light. The closer you shine light on something, the more imperfections are found. If you want to know how sinful you really are, why your fellowship with the Lord has been lacking or just waning over the last several days and weeks, what has been standing between you and your Savior, do what David did in Psalm 139. and verses 23 and 24, ask the Lord to search you. He says here, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Ask God to search you out. Ask God to find out those things in your life, those areas, those habits, whatever it may be, and to cleanse you from them. God will show you things that need to change, which you thought were perfectly acceptable because the world said it was okay. The Holy Spirit will convict you of those habits which you have been keeping, whether in public or private. And he'll reveal to you how it is all negatively affecting your fellowship with God and hindering you from having that fullness of joy that God wants you to have. Sin must be exposed, but second, sin must be expressed to the Lord. Sin must be expressed to the Lord. Here's where we draw our attention back to verse number 9. Notice again what it says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I, I really like it when the verse has all the points within it. To confess your sin literally means to agree to the wretchedness of your sin. You're agreeing. You're acknowledging just how bad it really is. It is so much more than just acknowledging that you've done something wrong. Confession is not just even an admission of guilt. It means that you're understanding you have violated God's holy standard. And you have eternally offended a holy God. Confession insists that you're aware of the gravity of your sin as well as your need for forgiveness. So how do we go about offering our confession to the Lord? Good question. Fortunately, we have a threefold answer here in verse number nine. We must confess it right away. Again, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess it right away. The word confess there in verse number nine, it appears in the present tense and it implies a continuous action. You don't just wait until you've accumulated a year's worth of sin and then go to God at once and say, all right, God, here's the whole truckload. (laughs) Take it all at once. No. You confess it right away. And it's a continual process because we're continually falling into sin even as believers. So you go to him as often as you sin, just like that man who fell on top of the alligator. He jumped right back out as quickly as he could. That's what you do. The moment you fall into sin, you're aware of it. Go to God right away and confess it. Try to restore that fellowship that you broke because you chose to do something you know you shouldn't have done. It's just annoying me all the time. But you know what, I think I'll leave it there for a few months, maybe even a year. until I get it out of my eye. And that should be the way that we are when it comes to our sin. We can't do anything until we've gone and made confession of us to take care of our sin and to deal with it right away. Confess it again. You should be going to the Lord and say, Lord, please forgive me for acting so foolishly. Forgive me. Cleanse me from this filthy behavior. Whatever it is, cleanse me. Confess your sin specifically. Confess your sins specifically. Notice again verse number nine. You forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word you notice here is not sin, but sins. Plural. Which insists that we're not just confessing sin in general. Lord, forgive me for all of my sin. No. It is sins specific. Forgive me for all the sins that I've done and, confess, and list them. I know the Lord knows all of your sin, but it is vitally important for us to name our sins specifically or else we will end up trivializing many of them and dismissing some of them as not being all that bad. When you're acknowledging every little one of your sins that you've been involved in, And you're actually naming them as you're confessing them to God. It really helps you realize just how you've fallen out of fellowship with him. We will sing a song from time to time. Count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Let me change that song for you a little bit. Tell you what you should be singing. Count your many sins, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what you have done. I hope I haven't ruined that song for you. But let that kind of sink in. Confess your sins specifically. Confess them all. Confess them specifically. And third, confess them confidently. Look at verse number nine again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We confidently confess all our sins to the Lord knowing That he is going to fulfill his end of the promise to us, to cleanse us, to restore that fellowship. God wants each of his children to enjoy the blessedness of his fellowship. And the only reason that we fall out of that fellowship is not because God has backed out on his end and said, You know what? I know you've confessed specifically. I know you've done it right away. But you know what? I want you to just deal with it for a little while. I want you to suffer for a little while. I want you to realize just what you've done and how much you deserve to, punish, to be punished and how much you don't deserve my mercy and my grace. So just stick with it and enjoy the misery for a while. No. When we come to Him the right way, when we come to Him right away, when we come to Him specifically, laying it all before Him, He is going to do what He says He's going to do. He is faithful and just, it says, to forgive us our sins. Not in a year, not ten years from now. He doesn't write us a contract and say, okay, I'm noting that, that you've made confession here on this date. In five years, you can expect full forgiveness. No, it's coming right away. So be confident. When you go to God and you go to him right away and you confess it all specifically to him, be confident that you know God is going to be faithful to his end of the promise. He is going to bring that cleansing and forgiveness that we so desperately need. The only thing that stands in our way is the sin that we allow to come between us. God is faithful to forgive. He's promised to do so, so don't wait. Come to him at once. And third, sin must be expelled from our lives. Sin must be expelled from our lives. As great as God is to forgive us of our sin, when we confess them all to him, God's promise is not a license to continue to sin. He doesn't say, you know I'm going to forgive you. I'm faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse you from your sin. So, by golly, go and sin as much as you want. And know that you can come back to me every single day, every single time you've done this, and you can have full pardon, full forgiveness from your sin. Live as you want, do as you please. Just keep coming back to me. That's not a license to sin. God has given us his promise as an encouragement to keep ourselves from sin as much as possible. This is God's call for us to be holy, to live a life with unhindered fellowship with him. That's the real purpose. He's offering the promise of verse number nine for the purpose of verse number four, that our fellowship with him would be so unhindered that our joy would be full Because we're really experiencing that full Christian life. In fact, the first six verses of chapter 2 evidence this fact. Just look at the first six verses really quick. My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. That you sin not. He didn't say, I'm writing this to you so that you can sin as much as you want and know that you have forgiveness. But he says, I'm writing this to you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith, he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. That's the purpose. Not so that we have forgiveness knowing that we can go and sin as much as we want, but we have forgiveness for the purpose of going and living a pure and holy life. Our goal as Christians should be just that. Holiness and purity. But because we're battling our human nature, God knows that we need an advocate, which he mentions here in chapter 2. An advocate. He has given us Jesus Christ because we're battling that human nature. We're going to fall into sin And Jesus is here to help us when we fail, pleading and interceding on our behalf at the throne of God. God has accepted the payment that is made through the blood of Jesus Christ to save us. That is how he can be faithful and just to then forgive us. Jesus Christ the righteous is our advocate and he wants us to then be like him. God knows that our fellowship will be best when there is no sin standing between the two of us. God's forgiveness he has forgiven us because he desires for us to have that fullness of joy that comes with that unhindered fellowship. He doesn't forgive us so that we can continue to feel to feel okay about sinning. Someone has described what our attitude towards sin should be before and after we know Christ. He said before we know Christ, before we knew Christ rather. We used to leap into sin and love it. Now we lapse into sin and loathe it. May that be our attitude towards sin. That the moment we fall into it, we immediately jump back and try to get out of it. May our desire to walk in fellowship with Christ outweigh our desire to walk in fellowship with the world. Would you bow with me in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, we're thankful, Lord, for the reminder that we have to walk in the light, Lord. And I know as, as much as it is easier said than done, I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit is here alongside of us, Lord, within us as believers to help us in this struggle of life, Lord, where we fall short so often to live according to your word. I pray that you would help us, Lord, in everything that we put our hands to do, everything that we try and do, Lord, for your namesake, that it would honestly be, Lord, done with your honor and your glory in mind. Help us, Lord, in this journey to live the pure and holy life focused on your standard. In Christ's name we pray, amen.